Join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our assembled hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. It's difficult to take the pulpit this morning because the preacher who preached last Sunday was just absolutely phenomenal. And you got to hear Vicar Micah Rabel's first sermon from this pulpit, and it was fantastic yesterday. Love it. It's good. It's good for our church to be renewed. It's good not to just have the old guy with his hair falling out preach every Sunday. It's good to see his dear wife, Carissa, leading the choir and see the youth be served in our church. God renewing his church moment by moment, day by day, bit by bit. It's one of the things that makes St. John's very, very unique. One of the pieces of my life yesterday, my wife and I left the house about 11 o'clock and we went to a birthday party. And the individual at that birthday party is 100 years old and is sitting in worship right now and we're just honored to be able to have you here with us Eunice and thank you God has blessed you with a hundred years and with your family here with you it's awesome God be with you God be with you and your son did a good job although my mom said going out to the parking lot she said Mike did well but don't have any ideas you're not emceeing my birthday party ever so I feel I feel I feel good about that Mike so after we we were there and it's just delightful afternoon then we went to another birthday party and that was a little different that was a birthday party for my nephew's one-year-old son Carson Alexander Klinkenberg. And let's just say the two parties were a little bit different. <laughs> How fun was that, right? How fun was that? One was little children playing in a little ball pit with an inflatable thing while the men were watching football in the garage. And, and the other was filled with light and stories. I believe at Eunice's party yesterday, we had at least three, maybe four people who were over a hundred years old. One party I elevated the average age and one I took it down. That was kind of cool as well. My point is this, whether you're one or a hundred, it's a great time to be alive. It really is. It's not an easy time to be alive. Don't get me wrong, I'm not ignorant of that or, or naive, but it's a great time to be alive. It's a rich, transforming time. Things are kind of up in the air. Everything isn't completely aligned and put away. There's lots of things that we talk about and we wonder what's going to be. And I think that's okay. Especially as the church figures out over the next generation what it's going to look like, what it's going to be, where it's going to be at, who's going to lead it, and how it's going to come down. I'd be lying to you if I told you that I just want things to kind of rest and be the same. Because I think churches that hunker down and say everything's going to be the same are getting passed by in a nanosecond. So we are a congregation that is continuing to be renewed because that's what God does. God provides opportunity, chaotic moments, pregnant moments. And he gives us a pathway through those moments so that his church, his people can operate confidently and hopefully when it's not easy, but when it's good. 
And so we're going to work through that a little bit in the weeks ahead. I've got a couple messages. Pastor Trevor's got a couple messages. We've got a devotional Bible study book that will just knock your socks off and cause you to think and engage your brain and engage your heart in a large conversation that's gone on since Jesus said, I'm leaving now, but stay awake because I'm coming back soon. Authors that I read and things that I think about, podcasts I listen to, like in the church of 2023, much more to the first century than the 21st century. The church's influence in culture over the last generation has been greatly diminished. Society has turned over the last five years incredibly towards self, self-serving, and secularism. And the church... You and me, we turn to the Lord Jesus. We do what Christians have done since James took a pen, was inspired by the Spirit, and wrote the words that engage us today. We hold on to the word and the promise of Jesus. God turns us away from self, away from the empty nihilistic worldview that is America right now, and, and says, Remain in me as I remain in you. He turns us to his word, to his promise, to relationships in the church, to community, and to serving other people. Living for God and others first rather than living for self first. Enter St. James. St. James, the brother of our Lord. What a marvelous opportunity to proclaim both grace and truth this morning from the one who knew Jesus probably better than anyone else, his own brother. And there's three pieces that I'd like to pull out of this text or, or, or out of this series of lessons that, that my friend Jim Kuna read this morning. Three pieces to, to think about. First is that the breath of God is the apostles' teaching. Second, that there is a call to repentance in and throughout that teaching. And third, that Christians are called to live lives that are distinct from the world. Firstly, the idea of the gospel being the breath of God for us. Last November, I was riding in Santiago Oaks Park mountain bikes with my friends, and my, and my one buddy's just macho. Gordon is just tough. He rode motocross. He never falls. He's got the same bike I do. When Gordon says, Tim, let's go. You can handle this. I followed him right up the hill. And as I went up the hill, I quit pedaling. And that's bad. <laughs> and I could feel the inertia being lost from the bike. And the last thing I remember before I fell on the rock was the front wheel coming over my head and landing on my back and looking up at the beautiful blue sky of Orange, California with this going on. Go, <gasps> and I thought, that's it, I'm dying right here. I have a punctured lung, I have a sucking wound to the chest, I'm going to die right here, right? No, I had my breath knocked out of me. And not just a little bit, a lot. And so I, I laid there for a minute like you do and it feels like four hours and you're <gasps> And finally, Gordon looked over me, put his hand on my chest. He said, breathe easy, big guy. Breathe easy. <sighs> okay. A cracked rib, a little bit of bruised ego, but I got my breath back. 
I think St. James would say the same to the American church and to us today. Breathe easy. Breathe easy. You have confidence in the Lord Jesus. Breathe easy, Church of North America. Breathe in the apostolic teaching. Take it easy. You're not out of breath. You're not out of luck. You're not out of hope. Breathe in. Breathe in the teaching of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Peter, and James, and Jude. Breathe that in because that is your life. It's not surprising that in the Greek and in the Hebrew, the the words for word and spirit have so much in common. And in some cases are synonyms with one another. In Acts chapter 2, 42, whenever I'm able to lead a baptism, I, I go right to Acts chapter 2. Because there was the Pentecost movement. There was the spirit down, the fire, the flames, the smoke. All of those things. Peter gets up and preaches and everyone hears him in their own language. He calls the people to Jesus. At the middle, at the center, at the point of that message in Acts chapter 2 are these words. This Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. And then Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said, this promise is for you, 100-year-old person, and for your children, one-year-old Carson, and for all those whom the Lord our God will call, including you sitting at St. John's Orange here and now this morning. The apostolic message is the breath of the church. St. Peter knew that. And all of the apostles as they went, they didn't have to come up with a new sermon series. Every time they stood up, they said, here's the deal. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He had a life and was accredited as the Christ by his teaching and his miracles. He suffered. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. Every time they stood up, they had the same sermon which is very refreshing. It was always about Jesus. That's the apostolic message. That's what we hold on to. That's what drives us. That's what animates us. I always laugh when people say, I get so fired up about our mission statement. My mission statement is what moves me and guides me every morning. It's what... What is the breath of the church is not the mission statement. The mission statement gives specifics to it for the context in which the church is at. But the animating power of the gospel is the breath of life for you and me. This Jesus, whom you crucified, this Jesus is Lord and Christ. We are a congregation sticking to that script. You'd be shocked of the emails. If I put them up on the screen, you'd go, people send you that? You know what, Pastor? I've been coming to St. John's for six weeks now, and here's the five things that you can improve on on your message. (laughs) Pastor, you need to talk more about politics. If you don't talk about politics, then how are people going to know what to do? Uh, Okay. Pastor, you need to take a bigger stand. You need to be stronger in this stuff. Pastor, it's just not enough. I'm going to a church that pounds the stake in the ground a little harder and a little deeper. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to stick to the script. (laughs) 
500 years ago, a guy named Martin Luther nailed a bunch of things on a door in Wittenberg and brought the church back, not to political action, but to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and the message of the Lord Jesus is the animating power of the church. It's not enough to preach Jesus, the culture says. And the answer to that is, Yes, it is. It's enough. And it's central because it defines us and it inspires us and it gives us hope, making us countercultural in a culture of self. It's the air we breathe, it's what we have, and it's critical for our health and vitality as Christians. St. Peter, after Pentecost, noted in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, these words. Words, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I love that. The apostles' teaching delivers the love of Jesus for you and me. Secondly, James calls his hearers to repentance. And repentance is a tough sell in our culture. It's, it's really tough. You know you need to change the way you're doing things. No, I don't. Yeah, yeah, you do. Well, who are you and who do you say and why do you say that? By what authority do you say that? Uh, the word of God and the spirit of truth. But I have my own individual autonomy to do exactly what I want to do in my life. To which I always say either audibly or in my own mind's eye. So how's that going for you? Interesting, right? James calls his hearers to repentance. Dr. Luther says that repentance has three parts. The first part includes sorrow over our sin and a confession of that sin. The second part of repentance is hearing and receiving God's forgiveness. And the third part is amending our sinful life. And those three pieces are not something that we're afraid of because somehow if we don't do it right or don't do it enough, that God's going to zap us or make us pay for our own sins. Rather, we turn to a loving and a gracious God because that's the apostolic message. We turn to the Lord who died for us, who lives to forgive us, who lives that we can find peace with Him and peace in our hearts. We don't go before an angry God like the Greeks and Romans did. Gods who needed to be appeased by the sacrifices of humanity or, or gods who were capricious, kind of individually putting it on people for their own entertainment. No, we turn in repentance to the Lord God because He loves us. And the mark of that love is the cross of Christ. And while some first century people saw Jesus on the cross and risen from the dead, people there in Acts chapter 2, we behold Jesus in faith. Jesus said to Thomas, Blessed are they rather who have not seen and yet believe. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is us. We experience Jesus through faith, through his word, through the body and blood of Christ and the water of the baptismal font. And so we turn in repentance to him because it's good for us, created into the needs of our soul is the ability to turn from our ways, to confess, to hear words of forgiveness, and to course correct on our lives. 
Some days that's easy for me because I don't feel so sinful. There's days where I'm like, oh, it ain't so bad, a little bit of repentance, okay, I'm done. And then there's those seasons of life where repentance comes very hard because it's choked down with tears. And the sorrow for sin becomes so real because the sin breaks and destroys and alienates. It's those times where I wake up at about 3.15 in the morning and then I can't fall back asleep. And the three parts of repentance become very real. Father, I'm sorry for my sin. And I beg for your forgiveness in the name of Jesus. And when I wake up, and when I put my foot on the ground, I will amend my life and change the trajectory where I'm going. Repentance has those three parts, each part critical to our soul to remind us that we are the beloved of God and that He will never let us go. It's an ebb and a flow to the Christian life. It's seasons and cycles through which we live, but repentance becomes that peace that anchors us to Jesus. We hear the word of grace and forgiveness, and then we press on in the narrow path of holiness and obedience. James wanted to make sure that his hearers were hunkered down in this rhythm because the Romans were fixing to get pretty nasty to the Christians over the next couple hundred years. And we are people of that legacy of repentance and grace and forgiveness. And that's what marks a church and makes a church different than a club or a social organization. Because what we hold in common in Jesus is hearts and lives and not just affinities and hobbies. Finally, James calls his people to turn to other people And make no mistake, you know it and I know it. And I can preach against it every Sunday, but preaching against it doesn't get the job done as much as preaching for something really, really helps. And so James leads his hearers in these words, chapter 1, verse 27. Religion of God, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself by being polluted in the world. What if this is the best time to be alive? What if the church of Jesus Christ and the light that we shine into the culture is so much more dramatic because the world and the culture is so much darker? If that's the case, then every kindergartner who's ever gone through St. John's school, every little kid who sang, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Every little child who learned that, and those of us older children who learned that, let our light shine with the brightness of Christ in the darkness of the culture. And the bright light of Jesus takes away the fear and the unknown and gives us peace and confidence. I'd like to close the message today with a note I received from Pastor Trevor about a connection made in a new ministry front 
on helping vulnerable and marginalized families. It took us five years to get connected through all of Crest and Orange County to be able to house supervised visits for families trying to pull back together here in Orange County. And our proximity as a church it makes an enormous impact in that. People say, well, why aren't you more like this and more like that? We could have better this and better that. And I said, no, we're not moving. We're, we're, we're here. We, we're in the middle of Orange County and we have responsibility in the middle of Orange County. God has put us here. Oh, well, it ain't easy. We don't have a lot of land. Right. But we're closer to Orange County Child and Family Services than any other church that our size. And that provides for us both opportunity and responsibility. This is a note that I received from Pastor Trevor regarding a vulnerable family working to be reunited on one of the first nights that we housed them here. It goes as follows. Yesterday, Tuesday, August 23, 2023, I was at St. John's supervising four families. St. John's volunteers brought in a rock painting activity and a build-your-own-ice-cream sandwich activity, which, of course, the families loved. The story I want to share with you is regarding one mother visiting her five-year-old child who is on the autism spectrum. The volunteer was asking families if they would like to participate in the rock painting project, which was being facilitated by the volunteer. This mother was hesitant to participate because she expressed that she was afraid that her daughter was not going to sit through the activity because her daughter is on the autism spectrum. The mother also expressed that she did not feel like her daughter was interested in such activities and stated that her daughter only liked to play with the toys in the visitation room. The volunteer from St. John's was patient and understanding and with the mother's permission tried to engage the child in the activity. Well, the family ended up participating. Not only was the volunteer engaging with both the mother and the child, but the little girl sat through the entire activity and was able to demonstrate to her mother that she could count to 10. Why is this so significant? Well, the visiting mother stated that she doubts herself and her parenting, which affects how she views her daughter's ability to engage in activities and her knowledge of what interests her child. Part of the activity was that the rock needed to be under a solution for 10 seconds. The volunteer prompted the mother to help the child to count to 10, and the child counted to 10 all by herself. The mother was so surprised by her daughter's ability not only to sit through the activity, but to count to 10, which the mother had never heard her daughter do before. The mother expressed that she learned so much about her daughter in those 15 minutes that it took to complete that activity. The mother expressed her gratitude and was happy that she had this opportunity. Something so simple, something so basic, created a moment so beautiful and so genuine for this mother and daughter. In that moment, this family was bonding right before our eyes. Not only did this activity help a mother gain confidence in her daughter's abilities, but it also helped the mother learn more about her daughter's interests. And the coolest part of this, the coolest part of this all was that it was all facilitated by a St. John's volunteer. 
true religion is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted in the world. True religion is turned toward Jesus Christ. True religion is turned away from self and turned toward other people. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our fuel for that work. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the breath in our lungs, the breath of the love of God for us in Christ, and the breath that we breathe that brings healing and peace and connectedness for people who need to be connected so dearly and deeply to the Lord Jesus and find meaning and hope in a hopeful, meaningful community in the name of Jesus.